Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. You know what? So am I. I'm just fed up with everything and I just, you know, wish everything would burn. (laughs) But when I say mad, I'm not actually that mad, really, thinking about it. Maybe a little bit ticked off. Right. It is more of like a, a strong perturbed, I would say, honestly. Maybe saying I'm mad as hell is, is overstating it a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of like that feeling when, you know, you spend time, you spent a few years invested in a TV show, and then you get to the last season and the last episode, <laughs> and it just sucks. Well, now listen. Yeah, Dexter fans and, you know, uh, Soprano fans and other things, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Now, 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 to be fair, uh, obviously, we're recording this episode right after the end of a very, very popular TV show. You're mad as hell about the ending of that TV show. I haven't watched it yet because I'm still like four seasons behind. So I'm not really all that perturbed about that. <laughs> that really wasn't where I was going when I said I was mad as hell. But that's OK. I can I can I can see that you need to vent. Well, well I'm mad as other things as well. Like I've just went to take a drink, a drink from a glass of water and some of it spilt on my top. Oh, that would make me mad. Yeah. As what hell. idiot decided to take a drink? Oh, that's my fault. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Damn it, I'm mad as hell that it's all on me. Well, Phil, why don't you tell people why we're so mad as hell today uh, and tell them what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Flubber. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's uh, that's that's a callback to long-term listeners. Try the fish. Yeah, yeah. But we're, no, we're going to be going after the ending of Tommy Boy and the 1976 classic film Network. Right, and and for those of you who still aren't sure, uh, it's not Tommy Boy that we're mad about. It's Network's uh, famous sort of, you know, most famous quote from that movie and and something that sort of became part of the pop culture lexicon back in the 70s and 80s, I think, mostly. Yeah, yeah. uh, Was, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Um, And that was sort of the the setup for this film. Oh, is that where it's from? Oh, okay. (laughs) I hope you know that since you're doing the intro. I thought it was was Tommy Boy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then and then we're going to do our top five performances by Will Smith in our 100 Stars of Hollywood 100 episodes. So we have a jam-packed episode for you today. Yes, but we will be getting jiggy with it a bit later on. But first of all, it's going to be <laughs> our endings. Yes, yeah, so why don't we start things off and uh, we'll go with Network first. Why don't you give us the synopsis for that? Okay, I thought I'd be able to do this quite briefly, but then remember that there's actually quite a bit more to the film than you first imagined. So yeah. It's kind of a long and complex film, so uh, just give us give us what you get. Yeah, hopefully it's this this will make sense. So it's uh, we follow Howard Beale, played by Peter Finch, who's the longtime anchor of uh, UBS Evening News. He finds out that he'll be fired in two weeks due to low ratings. The next night, he gets drunk, goes on TV, and says he's going to kill himself in a week's time. UBS, the uh, the company, the studio, fires Howard, but his friend Max Schumacher, played by William Holden, convinces them to allow Howard to have a dignified farewell. Obviously, because of what he was said he was going to do, uh, lots of people tune in. And when the week comes up, Howard rants about life and things in general, about how everything sucks and how he's mad as hell. And the ratings just, you know, explode. UBS decides to keep Howard on TV and bring in a woman called Diana Christensen, played by Faye Dunaway. She's a new producer who's got some ideas for TV shows, but she lives for TV. That's all she's focused on. But she ends up having an affair with Max, 
Uh, Diane creates a TV show that follows a band of terrorists called the Mao Tung Hour, and Howard gets his own show and becomes the mad prophet of the airwaves. Howard's show becomes the highest-rated program on TV. Uh, Max ends up leaving his wife for Diana. Howard finds out that the CCA, who is the conglomerate that owns UPS, will be bought out by a Saudi conglomerate. He goes on air to tell viewers to write letters to stop this happening. Obviously, CCA don't like this, and talk to Howard, who changes his TV sermons. Max tries to get back with his wife as Diana is all about the job and is very cold and distant. The ratings end up dropping for Howard's show, so Diana and others end up uh, having a terrorist group get onto uh, the TV to kill Howard live on air, and the assassination succeed, and Howard Beale is the first man to be killed because of lousy ratings. The Mao Tse Tung show gets a second season. There you go, nicely done. That's Yeah, that's network. All right. It's well worth watching, though, because it's got so many things going on. It does have a lot of things going on. This is one of those movies that is very well revered in critical circles. You know, uh, I've talked in the past on on, on the show about my, my movie poster, the 100 movies you should see, you know, the little scratch-off poster thing. And yeah, yeah. That's yeah. one of the films on there. I think it's pretty highly rated on some of the AFI lists. You know, it's one of those it's one of those movies for movie lovers, you know, for cinephiles and yeah. and movie critics that, that they really respect this film. How do you feel about it, Phil? Hey, I really like it. I mean, the first... First time I saw it, I knew it was about a guy going a bit crazy on the news and stuff, and I thought that's what it basically was. But then when you sit down and watch it, there's a lot more going on. It's that's just part of it, and it's all just showing how it, you know ratings and advertising controls everything, and how the person who's telling the truth one day can be at the top of the game, but then when the ratings drop, you want to get rid of it, and sadly the public will end up watching pretty much anything in particular but it's it's full of amazing performances it's got a razor sharp script and I, I really enjoy it it's a little bit bleak in places but it's 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 also quite funny in places as well which are a bit unexpected but on the whole i think it's a it's a cracking film by Sidney lamette probably not one i can watch too often but every now and again every you know few years or so i like to uh, give it a watch but uh, what do you think of it so i i like network but i don't i don't love network i think it's um i think it's got some really good moments and there are definitely uh, messages in the film that i i can appreciate i think it was prescient in a way ahead of its time just sort of predicting this you know yeah yeah uh, how the ratings will drive everything and you know the sort of the start of the 24-hour news cycle and how you know if it bleeds it leads and all that stuff um but i, I think this it also has some slow moments you know there are definitely some parts where it loses me a little bit um i, I do respect the film and i like it but it's not one of those movies that i find the need to revisit very often yeah yeah it's got i, I know what you mean about the slow moments like uh, many films from the 70s Often have those little yeah. bits, yeah, yeah. Right, it's very important and long, and you know has a lot to say, and that's all great. But sometimes it, uh, you know, sometimes to me it's just it's just got a few moments where it could the pacing could have been picked up a little bit. Fair enough, uh, but uh, that's what happens in the film. What uh, what happens in your day after, Mike? Okay, well, the year is twenty twenty. The next U.S. presidential election is in full swing, and things are worse than ever. There are political attack ads on TV twenty four seven. The economy is in a slump, and none of the candidates for president have a popularity rating over 30%. Gas prices are over $5 a gallon, 24-hour news channel anchors are yelling at their guests, and even the late-night comedy TV hosts are having a hard time finding anything funny to say. As the election ramps up, the world spirals slowly out of control, with terrorist events happening with increased frequency, fighting in the streets, and more and more hate speech prevalent on social networks. Then, one day, a new website appears on the internet. It's called The Network, and there's just one thing posted on it. In the middle of a black screen are the words, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Even though it's just the one statement, the website begins to get noticed, going viral as the world wonders, what is The Network? Mm -hmm. And that's my day after. 
Wow, I like it. Thanks. Reminds me of some like a Warren Ellis comic or something. Uh, yeah, I could see that. Certainly, certainly, I could see that. I like Warren Ellis. Mm. So, yeah, some some similarities there, perhaps. Okay, I like it. So that's my day after. Thank you, yeah. thank you. What do you have for your day after? Okay, well, Max is still in shock after what happened to his friend Howard. I should have seen this coming, he keeps saying to himself. He knows what happened behind the scenes, but he's no way to prove it. He eventually reports the matter to the police, who tell him that it is for the FBI to deal with. He calls them and ends up getting passed around and around, and eventually he gives up when he realises nothing will actually be done with regards to the murder of his friend. Diana feels nothing except happiness at the ratings for Howard's death and the fact that the Mao Zedong Hour show is renewed. The CCA deal goes through and is bought by the Saudi conglomerate. Diana and the network start looking for other candidates to fit into a show similar to Howard's, someone who would be easier to control. And that's my day after. Hmm. I wonder who that someone is going to be. Mm. Intriguing. Mm. I like it. What's going on then with your website, though? What is the network? Okay. The network has become the talk of the internet. Some people suspect the hacker collective known as Anonymous. Others are convinced it's just a publicity stunt created by one of the presidential candidates. And yet other people are convinced it's nothing more than just a viral marketing site for a new movie. Nobody even knows why it's getting so much attention. They just know that it's become part of the public consciousness. Everyone is continually checking the site to see if it's updated or changed at all. But it continues to deliver just the one message. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Then, after three months, the message abruptly changes. It's replaced by a new message, an even shorter one. The time has come. And that's where I'm going to leave it for now. Ooh, okay. Ooh. <laughs> Curious and curiouser. All right, well, let's hear then what's going on with your immediate aftermath. Okay, well, the second season of the Mao Zedong Hour goes from strength to strength as their actions become more extreme. Diana keeps moving up the corporate ladder. She started other shows dealing in many different aspects of life, but all have a twisted hyper-reality to them, along with a sense of cruelty running amongst them all. Mm. Max sinks into alcoholism as he feels he's the only normal person, as the TV viewers seem to become more and more dehumanised. A new intern called Damon starts work at UBS. He has some new ideas for TV shows, but he realises he has to put some work in before he will be listened to. And that's my immediate aftermath. Hmm. Okay. I like I like it. I'm curious to see if this is uh, if Damon, who he may, may or may not turn out to be. So mm. I don't have any ideas yet. I'm just curious if there's something more to him. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll see. But what's going on then? What's the, the time has come, Mike? What's going on with your long term? Well, when the message changed, the world erupted in fear. The first 30 days or so are filled with chaos. There's rioting in the streets, and an already precarious world sociopolitical climate is thrown into turmoil. But then, a lone man emerges from the darkness and captures the public attention. Don't you see, he says at his sermons, it's the message of Howard Beale. You may not remember him, but he was a prophet some 45 years ago. He foretold of a time when the corporations would run the earth, and they'd run the earth into the ground. I've been studying his messages, and I believe he speaks to me now. I know the way to peace and freedom. We must rise above the violence. As the man's philosophical following grows, he leads a quiet revolution in which the people begin to buy their countries back from the corporations. Using 401k cash outs and employee benefits to fund mass stock purchases, it takes some time and some financial wrangling, but eventually the tide begins to turn. With the people in charge of their own lives and destinies, and without the interference of the corporations, which are now owned by the employees, Life begins to change. Inequalities are reduced, poverty declines sharply, homelessness begins to disappear, and political rifts begin to heal. The future is uncertain, but at least people are certain there still is one. And that's the end. Oh, that's, that's good. I really like that. 
Thanks. A nice positive ending, and maybe you've—that's the uh, the blueprints for a better world. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not a politician. I just, uh, I you know, I wanted to. I kind of had this idea, but I wanted to tie it in with Howard Beale. Yeah. And uh, you know, I I thought it, this seemed like uh, you know seemed like it would work. I like that. That's very good. Very thought provoking. That one. Oh well, thank you. I I aim to uh, I aim to provoke thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's hear how yours wraps up, though. Go ahead and give us your long term. Okay, the worldwide economy is failing, but TV and entertainment just keeps getting better and better. Diana is more powerful than ever, especially after the man she chose to host a reality TV show is now the US president and will do anything she says. Mm. Fiction. Uh, Max has lost... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, a reality TV star could never become president, so obviously it's fiction. Yeah. Uh, Max has lost everything and is now a, an old man living on the streets looking for his next bottle of booze. He rants about the truth about life, and his friend Howard, but nobody listens. Meanwhile, Damon Killian is now a producer for UBS. He has an idea for a TV show and tracks down Diana to pitch it to her. What's it called, she asks. The Running Man, he replies. <laughs> well, that's my long term. Oh, I like it. Thank you very much. <laughs> that's very good. Thank you. That fits in well, uh, you know, with, with the, the vision of the future that comes from your, your ending. Yes. I like that. Yeah, and it's all just TV for the masses. Well, interesting, I think, that our endings almost sort of ended up in a similar place, even though they went about it in very different ways. Yeah, 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 that's very true, yeah. yeah. You know, there's there's some corollaries between our two endings there, I think. Mm, but yours was a lot more hope. <laughs> well, right, but I have an after-the-credit scene. Oh, maybe I spoke too soon. Go on, then. Hit me with it. Uh, I, You know, like I said, I really wanted to tie this in with, with Howard Beale. So, here's it goes, you know, so fades to black, okay. comes to the credits, after credits finish, the scene comes back up again. Yeah. And up in heaven... Howard Beale sits with God, watching the events unfold on Earth. God looks at Howard and says, See, I told you they'd pull it together. They always do. I know it was a bit of a mess in the beginning, but it's just like I told you. Humanity's better side will always win out. Now pay up. You still owe me from the last bet, and I'm not letting you slide this time. Howard looks at God and says, Yes, yes, they pulled it together. For now. But how long will it last? Then he gets a mischievous look in his eye and says, What do you say, double or nothing? <laughs> oh, I like that. End. I like that. That's good. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So, Phil, uh, do you have any network trivia for us? I do. Well, with the actress Beatrice Strait, who played Max's wife in the film, she's only on screen for five minutes and two seconds, but uh, she won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, and hers is the the briefest performance to ever win that Oscar. I was going to say, I thought I, I thought the briefest was like 14 minutes, but that's obviously yeah, much shorter. Crazy, yeah. Uh, and wow. Sidney Lumet said that they shot the film using a specific lighting scheme. The opening scenes were shot with as little light as possible, uh, more like, it, well, as little, you know, using as little light as possible. Uh, more, they shot it more like a documentary, but as it moves on, there's more and more light and more camera moves. This was to visually con convey the theme of media manipulation. Hmm. Interesting. Which is always like a nice little thing when you you see the uh, the inner workings of the film. Right. Uh, Peter Finch was the first performer ever to receive a po posthumous award, in this case, Best Actor, at the Oscars. Huh. And throughout the movie, we never see Diana speak to Howard, hmm. which is quite interesting, interesting. yeah. But that's uh, network. Well, now when I go when I do go back and rewatch it, I have a few things to watch for, yeah, you know, about uh, the, th the camera moves, the lighting, and, and that stuff. That's it. Those kind of things do make films uh, uh, worth a rewatch. Absolutely. All right, nicely done. So that is network. Why don't we move on then to Tommy Boy? Yeah, let's do it. Do you want to give us a rundown of the events of the film? Okay, so Tommy Boy, 1995, starring Chris Farley and David Spade and Julie Warner. Uh, the story goes like this. Tommy Callahan III, played by Chris Farley, graduates from college after seven years, only to return home and get a job at his father's auto parts company. 
At Tommy's dad's wedding, Big Tom, that's his dad, Big Tom, dies of a heart attack. With the company finances in jeopardy, Tommy must sell 500,000 brake pads to save the company. So he goes on a road trip with his dad's assistant, Richard Hayden, played by David Spade, who is a very David Spade-like character. Yeah, yeah just a bit. Yeah. Uh, we learn that Big Tom's new wife had been marrying him only for the money and wants to sell the company along with her lover, Paul, who had been posing as her son. Meanwhile, on the road, Tommy and Richard are something of a disaster, but they eventually become friends and use their strengths together to sell the half-million brake pads. Paul sabotages the company's computer, though, causing most of those sales to disappear. Through a very complicated plot device, uh, which would take too long to explain, but in which we do meet Michelle Brock, sales manager, played by Julie Warner, Tommy manages to retain his ownership in the company. The film ends with Tommy in a boat on a lake, talking to his dead dad, telling him he's going to have dinner with Michelle and her family. And the boat gets carried by the wind, maybe by his dad, to the shore, and Tommy gets knocked on the head by the mast. And that is the end of Tommy Boy. Excellent. Very well done. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Covered all the main beats. But obviously, it's a it's a comedy comedy film, so there's lots of it's all it's all they're just moments to wrap the comedy around, really, aren't they? Right, right, exactly. So, Phil, how do you feel about Tommy Boy? Oh, I do like it. It's 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 lots of fun. It always makes me laugh. I always like the bit with the driver in the car, and then they put the they're looking flipping through the, the radio channels, and like some ballad comes on. I can't remember. But anyway, and they're both going, "Will you turn it? Do you want this on? Well, no, but leave it on if you want. And then the next <laughs> right. thing, it cuts to them just singing along with tears in their eyes. <laughs> yep, yep. But there's lots of nice moments in it and lots of funny moments. Yep, yep. Uh, and what about uh, what about you? What do you think of it? Yeah, I, I also like Tommy Boy. I will say I didn't see it right away. It took me a few years to get around to it. And I was surprised at how much people love this film. Like, I, I got around to watching it because everyone was like, oh, my God, Tommy Boy is so funny. Um. But I, I watched it, and I do enjoy it. I, I like Davis Bade and Chris Farley together. I love the whole fat man in a little coat, you know, that yeah, thing. Yeah, that's a good scene. Although yeah, it's, yeah. it's never been funnier than when my father-in-law did that one time to my, my wife and I, and we weren't expecting it, and I don't, I don't think I've ever laughed so hard <laughs> in my life. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a fun movie. I mean, it's nothing. It's not a classic or anything, yeah, but yeah. I, I enjoy it. It's a good 90s comedy, you know? Yeah. And I, I do enjoy 90s comedies. Yeah, it passes the time, makes you laugh. Yeah. Right, and sometimes that's all you need, right? Yeah, totally. totally. What more could you ask for? Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Uh, well, why don't you go ahead and give us your day after then? Okay, well, Tommy spends the day trying on new jackets to look more professional in the office. He ends up ripping about 20 of them, but eventually finds one that looks perfect. <laughs> he also realize- I like that. <laughs> he also realizes that he may not always have the best ideas, so Michelle and Richard become vice presidents at Callahan Auto Parts. They manage to temper most of Tommy's more extreme ideas, but Tommy's particular brand of chaos does break out from time to time. Luckily, nothing major happens, and it often raises the morale in the factory. And that's my day after. All right. Very nice. I like it. Okay. What's going on there with yours? Okay. Well, one year later, the company is stable, but still trying to iron some kinks out. They've got a new brake pad coming out, but it uses some revolutionary new technology. And it turns out that many of the car dealers and dealerships are anxious about switching to something new. So Tommy and Richard hit the road again, this time with a brand new 1996 Honda Accord Oof. decked out with all of the latest gear. A CD player and cassette deck combo. What? Tinted windows. No. Power locks. <gasps> yep. And a spoiler. More importantly, the car is outfitted with the new brake pads. The hope is that Tommy and Richard will be able to spur more sales like they did on their first trip. So they head out across America to demo the new product and boost the company to even higher sales. But things get off to a rocky start when a freak blizzard shuts down most of the northeast corner of the country. While they're stuck in a hotel waiting out the storm, Tommy and Richard head to the bar. They sit down, order drinks and food, and then sit back to watch the snowfall. A man sitting next to Tommy turns to him and says, Hi, I'm Del Griffith, Shower Ring Salesman of the Year. One heck of a snowstorm, huh? <laughs> that's, that's my day after. 
<laughs> nice. I, I must have, as it was going on, I was going, hold on, hold on a minute. <laughs> oh, no, nicely done, nicely done. Well, I, I, I couldn't get the idea of, of Chris Farley and John Candy in a, you know, together in a road trip comedy oh, because, wow. you know, like Tommy Boy and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles makes a good double feature. Yeah. And, you know, Chris Farley is kind of like the John Candy Jr. in a way. And I just thought the idea of those two characters together could be really fun. Oh, so that'd be that's, amazing. That's how he ended up in there. Yeah. Oh, I like it. I like it. Thanks. Thanks. Glad you like it. All right. Let's hear what's going on then with your immediate aftermath. Okay. Tommy and Michelle's relationship is going well, which is a surprise of everyone especially Tommy <laughs> and Richard. Uh, Richard is not as uptight as he was, and he's actually become quite popular with the people in the factory and people around town. He's actually got some friends. They've also developed a series of TV commercials for Callahan's, and Tommy is, of course, the star. Initially, yeah, of course. Initially, he is extremely nervous, but eventually he settles into the role. He's thrown for a moment when he meets a TV producer called Benjamin Oliver, who looks like Paul Barish, uh, the person who's meant to be the son of his dad's wife, but it was actually her lover. Right. But they couldn't right. possibly be the same person, could they? But uh, that's my immediate aftermath. <laughs> so so I see I'm not the only one bringing in characters from other movies, as uh, Rob Lowe is making an appearance there from Wayne's World as well, I Yes, think. that's correct. I thought I'd... Because uh, he basically plays the same character in this as he does in yeah. Wayne's World, so I thought might as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's a great tie-in. It is like absolutely the same character. And I love Rob Lowe, but that's just a character he played. He can play that character Oh, that's sleep, smarmy. You know? Yeah, sleazeball. Just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Nice. Nicely done. Thank you. I like well, it. But what's going on with, uh, with Tommy and Dell? All right. Well, when the snow finally dies down, Tommy and Richard are able to get back on the road, and they agree to give Dell a ride to Milwaukee, their next destination. I think you're even though Del- it's actually pronounced Milwaukee. <laughs> wow, that's a that's a funny tie-in that I and obviously I didn't even know you were gonna put Wayne's World in there when I wrote yeah, that. Yeah, I just picked yeah. Milwaukee as a random city. Uh, that's so weird, funny, isn't it? This, <laughs> right? <laughs> so even though Dell drives Richard nuts, Tommy takes to him right away. Dell shares stories of his many adventures traveling on planes and trains and automobiles, and Tommy soaks it up like a sponge. The drive isn't entirely without incident, however. The new brake pads work like a charm. But there's a near miss with a herd of water buffalo, a misunderstanding with a toll booth taker that results in the man shooting after them with a shotgun, and a chance encounter with Fabio, the male model. <laughs> it's not one of those comedies, not Fabio. <laughs> right, right. That's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, you have to have a Fabio yeah. cameo, which is not no, easy no. to say. You have to oh, have excellent. one of those, you know? Awesome. Uh, when they finally reach Milwaukee, they drop Dell off at his hotel. Then they head to see Bob Gunderson, owner of Gunmetal Motors, one of the largest auto parts dealers in the country. As they're pulling up in front of Gunmetal Motors, however, a young boy steps off the curb directly in the path of their car. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, no. And that's where we're going to leave it for now. Oh. A little suspense for okay, you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. This could take a left turn. Yeah. Mm. It could. It could. We'll see. All right, so Phil, tell us what's going on in your long term. Okay. Well, the TV commercials were a huge success, and Callahan's is making lots of money. Everybody's happy. Uh, Tommy's TV presence proves extremely popular, and he ends up doing a weekly talk show on a local TV channel. The guests are usually odd people that Tommy meets during his travels. On occasion, Richard is a guest on the show when no one else is available. Richard always refuses, but Tommy always gets him on, and those episodes are always very popular. Tommy and Michelle end up getting married. Richard is Tommy's best man. He also ends up being the godfather to their four children. Tommy and Michelle have a long, happy life together, and despite Tommy's many accidents, that see him ending up in hospital. He lives to a grand old age, and they all live happily ever after because it's Tommy Boy. Oh, exactly. I like that. I love the idea of Tommy hosting a 
a TV show and, and getting Richard on whenever, like reluctantly, but always dragging him in there. I think that's a great yeah, idea. Yeah, I always imagine it'd be like he wouldn't even, it, it, every time he'd forget, it's, and Tommy'd say, no, just come over with me. Just just want to talk about something. And then right, he'd sat right. down and the cameras would go and then he'd just have to go, oh, no, I can't. But uh, that's, yeah, uh, that's, yeah. Uh, that's my long term. But what's going on though with yours? All right. Well, Tommy slams on the brakes <gasps> and the car comes screeching to a halt, stopping just inches shy of hitting the young boy who looks to be only four or five. Immediately, an older man and woman come rushing off the sidewalk, practically panicked over the near miss. As Tommy and Richard get out of the car, the man says, Those are some pretty quick reflexes there, Bruce Lee. I believe you just about saved my grandson's life. If there's anything I can ever do for you, you just say the word. The man hands Tommy his business card, and when Tommy looks at it, he's surprised to see it reads, Bob Gunderson, CEO, Gunmetal Motors. Oh, my God. (laughs) Tommy and Richard look at each other and smile. That night, with a one million unit purchase order in the books, Tommy calls Michelle and tells her the good news. Michelle tells him that she has some big news of her own. You're going to be a father. Tommy is overjoyed and nearly overcome with emotion. After he hangs up with Michelle, promising to be home soon, he looks up at the sky and says, Thanks, Dad. I can only hope to be half as good a dad as you were. Then he heads out to grab Richard and celebrate the best day of his life. Oh, excellent. And that's the end. Oh, very good. Very good. Thanks. So we kind of both had to have like a happy ending, right? Because it's that kind of film. Yeah, you know, you don't yeah. Wanna, you you don't want to take it down like a dark and twisted path, right? Yeah, you couldn't have like a bus driver killing people or like a serial killer going around. <laughs> right, right, exactly, like. exactly. Oh, we're just full of the we callbacks are, tonight, are, huh? We are. <laughs> All right, Phil. I believe you are a trivia boy. So what do you have for us? <laughs> yes, well, the film was on Roger Ebert's most hated list. Mm, okay. Yep. Uh, Christian Slater was at one point considered for the role of Richard. I can see it. Yeah. And David Spade refused to let the onset stylist work on his hair for the film. Really? <laughs> yeah, apparently so, yeah. And that's, uh, that's Tommy Boy. All right, very nice. Okay, so there you go. Those are our endings for Network and Tommy Boy. Time to move on now to our 100 stars of Hollywood and 100 episodes, in which Phil and I take one of our favorite actors and share our top five performances from said actor. And this week we are talking about the top five performances from Will Smith. Big Willie style. Phil? Yeah. How do you feel about Will Smith? No, I, uh, Will Smith, yeah, I do like him. Uh, I mean, you can't help but like him from the Fresh Prince onwards. He's been, he's just, he uses charisma and likable. He's made some not film choices recently, but on the whole, he's always, well, he used to be very dependable to watch. Yeah. But even even, even in the lousy films, he's always worth a watch. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. What, what about you? What about you? Yeah, I mean, I do. I like him a lot. Uh, you know, it's kind of like you said, you know, I'm a big fan of The Fresh Prince. And then, you know, his first, you know, his first part of his career was just gangbusters. I mean, he just came out with one blockbuster after another. Some really great films, films I love and I've seen over and over again. You know, in his later part of his career, he's obviously made some more challenging choices. And I think it's led to some better performances. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he wasn't just going for the, for the, the summer popcorn fair. Uh, sometimes those choices work, sometimes a little bit less so. But, um... But yeah, I mean, I think he's a really solid, dependable actor. I don't think I can think of too many movies of that he's done where I think his performance is bad, even if the movie is terrible, like, say, After Earth. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, he, and he's only in that for a little bit anyway, but he's never bad in the movies for the most part, I think. You know, I, I think he's a very charismatic and likable actor. So, yeah, yeah, I like him quite a bit. Yeah, you're right. He gives, he gives us all in every, in every film he's in. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think for an actor that when he broke into movies, people didn't really expect much from him because he was the Fresh Prince and because he had this rap career and everything. I think most people wrote him off and, you know, just kind of as a novelty kind of actor, not somebody who would eventually become a serious actor who'd be nominated for awards and be a box office powerhouse. Yeah, you know? So yeah. it's nice to see somebody overcome stuff like that. Yeah, you know? very true, very true. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's who we're doing. Mike, do you want to start things off? I would love to. My number five is probably my favorite 
movie he's ever been in, or at least one of them. And it is Michael Bay's Bad Boys from 1995. Uh, Now, I I put this on here very specifically, and I put it at number five specifically. As far as performances go, this is definitely one of his more, you know, it's all slick. It's all charm. It's a lot of humor, um, you know, that type of thing. It's not his most heavy lifting performance, you know, the most dramatic performance. Um, But I don't judge acting ability solely on how well you can do heavy drama. You know, there's a lot more to a good actor and good performances than just that. Yeah, yeah. What I like about Bad Boys, besides that I love the film so much, is that, first of all, it, it's not, it wasn't his first film, but it was his first major release where he was a headliner. And I think he carries it, along with Martin Lawrence, so incredibly well. And what he does is he brings in all the humor and all the charm, but still makes him a completely different character from The Fresh Prince. And then on top of that, you add the fact that it's a very physical role. It's a lot of running and jumping and shooting and fighting, which is was very different for him at that point, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so to me, I liked it because it was a statement. You know, it was like, hey, you know, I can do more than just this one TV role. And, you know, he just he looks great in the film. You know, like I said, he's all charisma. He handles the action. Um, and I think it is a really great performance because doing comedy and action can be just as hard as doing drama. That's very, that's very true. And it's, uh, yeah, often people uh, look down on like the action things, but you've got to be, you've, you've got to be on top of your game to be able to make it convince. Well, like, like we're seeing with Keanu Reeves and the John Wick films. Right. You've got to be on top of your game to be able to, do the do the action and then do the uh, the speaking parts of it and the actual acting parts of it. Right, right. While you're doing all these crazy action and things like that. Yeah, because you look at somebody like Steven Seagal, for example, you know, <laughs> and you know, not a great actor, but he was never able to break out of that because he can't do anything besides that. And he wasn't even very good in those movies. He just happened to make a couple of good action films that people like, but he's not great in them. And yeah, and because yeah. of that, his career is where it is now versus where Will Smith is at because he was able to to do that and make that transformation. Yeah, very very well said. Thank you. Thank you. All right, what's your number five? Okay, my number five, it's one where, it's a film from 2004 where Will Smith is basically playing himself and he's only in a two or three scenes, but it's uh, Kevin hmm. Smith's Jersey Girl. Oh, right, right, right. And while it's, I, I, on the whole, I like Kevin Smith's films and Jersey Girl was a little bit different from his other ones. It was a bit more serious uh, at this point, but uh, yeah, and it's basically Ben Affleck's characters is like working for the PR film for Will Smith's will smith and things get messed up but there's like a, a scene in particular where ben affleck's life just feels like he's he's lost everything or it's going down the pan uh but will smith s- sits there and they just have this little conversation and it just felt i just felt will smith's performance was well he's playing himself anyway but well it's never really themselves it's like a right right it's like a, exactly. a hyper real version of it but uh i just felt it was very sincere it wasn't all the big bombastic kind of will smith we used in the fresh prince and his action movies it was just him sitting there giving some advice to some guy who'd messed up a deal he'd had in the past but he was there willing to go and say listen there's what you need to do he was listening he was just being a person right and uh i i just thought it was real nice just a real good performance, and it just made me go, well, "That's yeah, that's a cracking bit of acting." Yeah, and that's uh, that's my number five. Excellent, I like it. I didn't even think about that one to be honest with you, but I think it's a very good pick. Yeah, it's one that's always uh, stayed with me. That one, so that's uh, right. Even though I've not seen the film that many times, but I always remember that bit from it. Yeah, I, I actually like that movie. So, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah, I do think yeah, it's a very good pick. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, well, my number four comes from two thousand and eight, and it is his role as the title character in Hancock, uh, where he plays a very belligerent and drunk superhero Mm. Um, and uh, another movie I really enjoy but I think that what I liked about this one was this was kind of you know this was right in his heyday coming off of just a string of hit movies and in most of them he's playing the charismatic good guy 
you know, the the happy-go-lucky sort of character that he played in so many movies and played so well and just kept leading to one Fourth of July blockbuster after another. And then here he comes in Hancock and he's miserable and he's he's bad at what he does. You know, he's not happy. He's getting drunk and, and you know, it's just a surly character, which I thought was a real switch for him at the time, you know, especially... Yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. At, at, at the point that he was at, it was almost even a risk for him as far as box office goes. But of course, it was a huge hit because it was a great movie. But I do think his performance is really good. And I think that the way he comes around and he comes out of it is is handled well. You know, he handles the transformation well. It's not just, hey, I'm a bad, I'm, you know, I'm mean and angry and now I'm happy and everything's perfect. It's a, it's a progression, yeah. you know, and I, so I think that's a really good performance. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, good. It's the my mileless, but yeah, it is a good performance. And we did talk about that in more detail when we went after the ending back in episode 57. There you go. Yeah, All right. Many moons ago, but a good choice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my number four is Bad Boys. Uh, and like all the reasons you say, it was he was coming out of The Fresh Prince, but it was good action. Uh, he had a little bit of not not menace, but you, you know you, you you could the character you could tell could handle themselves in the situations and then dealing with all the explosions, also dealing with Michael Bay and the cameras swirling around you and everything like this. Right. Uh, but uh, you you said it all anyway. But there, that's my number four. Uh, bad boys. You know I agree that that's a great choice. Yes, so yes, yes. I like it. All right, well, my number three comes from one of his more recent movies. It's not a movie I'm actually a giant fan of, but as we said many times, this this is about the performances and not the films themselves. Uh, so it is from 2015, and it is Concussion, where Will Smith plays Dr. Bennett O'Malley. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've not actually seen this one, so it's not on my list. Well, it's... It's an interesting movie. Um, he, you know, he plays the this doctor that discovers this, uh, you know, this brain damage in football players from all the concussions and the, you know, the helmet to helmet contact and stuff like that, which is obviously very important. Um, and you know, I know there was he got some criticism for his accent, although I personally found it to be very convincing and very consistent. I didn't have a problem with it, mm-hmm. so I don't, I don't give that any credence. But I thought his performance is really good. He's, he's, it's a dramatic role. You know, he's very. Um, you know, it's basically he's working against the system. You know, it's the, the NFL is trying to cover this up and he's trying to fight for it to be revealed. It's not the problem I think I have with the film. It was kind of sold as like a thriller and it's really not. It's much more of a drama. And that's OK if that's what you're marketing it as. But I felt let down by it because it was it was much more seemed like it was much more conspiracy stuff going on. It's really more just this drama about this immigrant doctor and how he kind of rises up and finds this thing and makes a difference in people's lives. To me, the movie, it's a little on the slow side, but I think his performance is really, really strong. He's very passionate. Yeah. Yeah. uh, You know, very driven. Um, I think he really inhabits the character and you do sort of forget you're watching Will Smith at some points because, you know, I I think he does a good job of bringing this this real person to life. So that's my number three concussion. An excellent choice, yeah. I must get around to watching that one because uh, I've heard good things about his performance, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like, I mean, it's it's worth watching. I wouldn't say you have to rush right out to see it. It's not it's not the greatest film in the world. It's not a bad film. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's yeah. okay, you know. Yeah, no, excellent. Okay, my number three is, uh, this will surprise some of you, my, my number three is uh, Men in Black from 1997. That's good. No, it's good. That's good. It's a good, absolutely. Uh, it's just because I always feel this sort of, this was the one which sort of solidified his, at, at the time, his like comedy action when I mean, we had bad boys but then this which was 95 but then uh, men in black sort of just just hammered the point home that you know mm-hmm. he could do this he could do this in his sleep but it's he's still giving it his all and he's he's, he's playing the uh the cocky uh every man kind of thing up against tommy lee jones and it was just great banter there was great physical comedy as well involved there was action scenes he was doing like you know he's acting with uh, and probably in green screen and with also practical effects, so it was a it was quite different to lots of his other roles in that respect as well. Showing his again his range and dealing with sure sure uh, quite quite tricky uh, 
scenarios as well when you're actually making movies and you're acting against nothing in particular. But uh, again, he just he did it all so well. Then we had the, the Men in Black 2, which wasn't that good, but then Men in Black 3 again. Uh, I thought he did great things with that as well because it brought a different aspect to the character and just, just built on it. And at first, you know, you look at it like it's just like a slapstick sci-fi comedy, but there's... There is depth to the performance as well. It's a guy who's he knows he's he's seen odd things and he just wants to get to the truth of it, and he's uh, he's dealing with just crazy things, but serious things as well. The end of the world, and it's uh, that's my number three. I like it. I like it. I think it's a good performance for sure. Yeah, yeah. didn't put it on my list. Only you know, only so many spots, but I I do I do respect that as a good choice. Thank you. All right. Well, my number two comes from a movie. It's my second film from two thousand eight, actually. So a good year for Will Smith, at least in my opinion. It is, however, a movie that a lot of people didn't like or didn't yeah. see. Uh, it is his role as Ben in Seven Pounds which I actually enjoyed. I think it's a good movie. It's kind of a drama mystery type yeah, of film. Yeah. And it's about this this man um, who, uh, in the in the beginning of the film, so this isn't a spoiler, he calls the police to report his own suicide. And then he starts to tell you the story about how he wants to help seven people uh, behind, before he dies. And the, the sort of mystery aspect of it is figuring out the reasoning behind this and what's going on. And then the drama kind of comes from as he's, he's sort of searching for worthwhile people to help. Um, I really liked the film. I thought it was good. I, it's not, not my favorite film or anything like that, but it's a good solid film. But I think his performance is really good. He really does have to pull out his his heavy acting chops. Um, but at the same time, there there are moments for him to be charming. You know, he's not yeah, yeah. just, you know, weepy crying the whole time. He's trying to meet people and have conversations with them. And he has to, you know, deal with some anger and some sadness and, you know, some humor and stuff like that. There's a great scene where he tries to get Woody Harrelson. He starts berating him to try and get him to to snap at him. Um, you know, I just I think it's a it's a film that he gets to um, play with a lot of different emotions, a lot of different scenes. And like I said, I know people, some people really don't like the film. I thought it was good. Uh, but either way, I think you can't argue his performance in it is really strong. Oh, an excellent choice. It's, again, it's not one of the, his films I've seen, but that was purely because when it came out, I was I was a bit uh, I was a bit down at the time and I, I knew it was a bit of a, 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 well, dealing with different aspects and I just couldn't bring myself to watch it. But it's, uh, I must get around to watching it because I have heard, Despite what people, all the people who've said they didn't actually like the film in particular, they always say that he was still good in it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I I like the film, and I, I can see why you wouldn't want to see it in that situation. But I will say there is an essence of uh, hopefulness yeah, to it. Yeah. You know, there is there is sort of a kind of it's not meant to leave you feeling sad. I don't think. I think it's meant to feel you make you leave you feeling more uplifted. You know. Yeah, yeah. But I do. I so I do recommend you watch it. I do, I do think you'll like it when the time comes. Okay, yeah, it's probably on some of the streaming services. I'll have a, I'll have a look. Yeah. Okay, my number two is from my number two is from 1998, and it is the action thriller, conspiracy thriller, Enemy of the State, which was directed by Tony Scott. This is the one where Will Smith, he's basically a friend of his, bumps into him and slips something into his pocket, which is full of state secrets, and then Will Smith, like uh, his character, spirals out of control uh, when he realizes, well, he doesn't actually realize what's going on at first, but it's basically the government's out to get him. And he doesn't know what to do. And it's it's. Uh, I really like the film anyway because I do love the conspiracy thrillers. The fact it's got Gene Hackman, who's maybe doing his 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 character from the conversation, who comes along and helps him out. But mm -hmm. uh, I like I like seeing Will Smith dealing with this kind of thing where his his character isn't in control of what's going on, as they so often are in many of the films. Uh, he's not a big action guy in this one. He's just playing a lawyer, uh, just trying to figure out what's going on as his life falls apart right uh, and it, it was good seeing him do do that as well stop starts off being all a little bit of the cockiness that we we've, we know from some of his characters but then it's him losing control of it all and trying to figure out what's going on and getting in these situations where gene hackman's telling me he has to do this or do that to to 
to get things and do stuff like that. It's just it was good. It's good as well. Just uh, it's it's nice seeing Will Smith play a character who's not a who's not at the top of his game. It's something and is just constantly on playing catch up and doesn't know what's going on. But uh, I, I thought he did great things with that one. Enemy of the state. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I like about that is he, you know, he starts off with that cockiness, which is sort of a signature move for him, but then it subverts that and turns it on yeah. his ear, and suddenly he's at the mercy of everyone else, and he's on the run, and it's, you know, he doesn't, he's not top of his game like you said. So uh, I do like that film quite a bit, and that uh, that is a great performance. Yep. yep. So, Thank you. Good choice. All right. So here we are at number one. My number one comes from 2006, and it is his portrayal as Chris Gardner in The Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah in which he stars alongside his son, Jaden, before he turned into somebody obnoxious that I don't care for. <laughs> um, but th- th- I really like this film a lot. It is a drama. It is about, it's a, I believe it's based on a true story. It's set in the 70s, I think, about a, a, a struggling salesman who's down on his luck. They're basically like living on the street, him and his young son, and he just needs a chance, you know, and uh, somebody gives it to him and he really takes it and runs with it. And there's a great scene about him with the interview and his, you know, what, what do you do without his pants and all this stuff? Because he gets, you know, he gets all disheveled and they don't want to even talk to him and stuff. Um, it's a really, really strong film and an even stronger performance. I think it's really his finest performance. He is, I mean, he plays a man on the brink, you know, of losing his son and losing his his self. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that every moment in the film is authentic. You know, I don't, I never felt like there was a point at which you were watching Will Smith. You are watching this character. And I, I think it's great. I just, it's a, it's a movie I really enjoy. It does leave you feeling uplifted. And uh, it's, it's, he's had a lot of great performances in his career, but this one really stood out. When I started to look at the list, this was the one that jumped out first and, and stayed first the whole time. I said, well, I, I think two through five are going to be really tough. And they were, but for me, this was an easy one for number one. And it really never, it never faltered. An excellent choice. It, yeah, it almost made my list, but it's uh, I'd not seen it in a long time. That happened to me with a couple of his other films that I was considering. Yeah, yeah. But I, I couldn't remember how much I enjoyed his performance from them. So that, that can happen yeah, sometimes. Yeah. But no, an excellent choice. I'm glad they made your list. And uh, yeah, an excellent number one. Thank you. Uh, but my, my number one is from 1993. And it's uh, one of his earliest uh, big screen performances, I think. But it's uh, Six Degrees of Separation. Ah, now see, there's one I've never seen. Yeah, oh, it's, it's uh, well, I, I really I like this one. It's uh, well, I like the film as well, but it's like a comedy drama drama and basically we're following a couple who were uh, with Donald Sutherland and Stockard Channing who live on Fifth Avenue very wealthy they live in an apartment and then one day this guy played by Will Smith knocks on the door said he's been beaten up and he says he's a friend of their son and also he claims to be the son of Sidney Poitier and as a guy he comes in they invite him in put him up for the night give him money and he's he's very he's funny articulate he's read many different books and things and he's the conversations flowing and everything they really like him and then it turns out He's a con man, uh, just but it goes on from there. And he's uh, it's it's Will Smith, as I said, early on. Well, he'd done lots of Fresh Prince, but this one was like a, a worlds away from the Fresh Prince because he has he's playing a con man, pretend to be someone. So he's he's pretend to be a few different people in in the film, and it's just it's 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 I I always feel it's like unlike many most other Will Smith performances because it's it was based on a play anyway, so it's it's very theatrical in its its own way but he just he's very he's in, in some ways he's subtle and over the top as he's playing it in different different scenes throughout it but it's i just really 
thought it's because I didn't see this for a long time as well. I'd seen lots of the other bigger films, and eventually I think it was on TV one night and saw this, and it just blew me away. His performance it was just uh, incredible, right? And it's uh, it's well worth checking out, even if you not you don't like the film itself. Uh, I think you'll still be very impressed with uh, Will Smith's performance. But that's my number one. Sure, very good pick. You know what? I have seen that movie now that you mentioned oh, okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once you started telling the, the story of it, I was like, oh, you know, I did see that, but I think I saw it way back. Yeah, yeah. Like I want to say I rented it from Blockbuster or something like after Bad Boys came out, and I was like, oh, well, let's see what this movie is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so my yeah. recollection of it is very, very slim. But uh, but yeah, good choice. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, there you go. So that is our top five performances by Will Smith. Only one uh, crossover there, too. So that's yeah, a, a pretty yeah, good list of movies yeah. to check out. Yeah, it's good. I thought there might have been a few more, but no, it's good. I thought so as well. But it's nice to see that we can uh, you know agree, but also have some different choices yeah, on our list. Yeah, most definitely. All right, great. Well, there you go. So that is going to start to wrap up our episode. But before we get out of here, Phil, why don't you tell people what we have in store for them next week? Yeah, so next time we're going to be going after the ending of Gone Girl and Ronan. That's the one with uh, Robert De Niro and car chases, things like that. Yep, yep. And we'll also be doing our top five favorite performances of Jodie Foster. All right, that sounds like a fun episode, so be sure you don't miss it. Uh, make sure you join us then. But until that time, we will bid you adieu for now. So as always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. That's right. We are, uh, we're, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm interested to see, because I want my ending like a week or so ago. I can't quite remember what it was. <laughs> I didn't, I deliberately didn't read over it again because I wanted to be surprised. Right. <laughs> you're going to be reading it and you're going to be like, and then, and then so-and-so does, what the hell? What? Yeah. Who wrote Why would this? Why would he do that? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Who thought this was a good idea? This is, this, this is an idiot. Who wrote this? Idiots. <laughs> Who wrote this? The writers of Game of Thrones? Come on. <laughs> My number four is, well, you've mentioned it just before. It's uh, Men in Black. Oh, no, sorry. My number four. <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> I got this one special for you, Phil. Okay. Oh, dear. Okay. Because, because of Game of Thrones ending. Go on up. <laughs> All right. So what is the name of the Stark family barbershop? Oh, I don't know. Winter is combing. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I thought it was going to be bad, but it was worse than I possibly imagined. <laughs> no, come on. That is comedy genius. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, uh, I would lay dollars to donuts that that joke was funnier than uh, anything that happened in the season finale last night. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. See? So there you go. You're welcome. Oh, my God. That's good. Oh. <laughs> and on that bombshell. you what? And I'm not bombshell. Let's bring it to a close. <laughs> um, I didn't catch that. I'm not bombshell? On that bombshell. Oh, on that. I think yeah. you said, I'm not bombshell. No. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. It, yeah, because it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that might be a reason for yeah. it. But I was so confused. Yeah.